We are so excited to have Zoe LePage here with us today. Zoe is an extraordinary woman. She founded and serves as the executive director of Exhale to Inhale. Now, Exhale to Inhale is a nonprofit that brings the healing power of yoga to survivors of domestic and sexual violence. In Zoe's words, domestic and sexual violence is not just something that happens to others. With one in three women in the U.S. and one in seven men being survivors of this type of violence, its trauma has likely impacted your sister, your daughter, your mother, and or someone else you love. I mean, just saying those statistics mm. out loud is eye-opening for us. So, Zoe, we're so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So, we want to jump right in. Back in 2013, we want to know what prompted you to start Exhale to Inhale. Oh my goodness, it feels like forever ago now. Um, so, in 2013, I was a senior in college at Barnard, and I was part of a women's leadership program that taught us the history of women's leadership, leadership skills, and then asked us to do something to change the world. So I had started practicing yoga when I was a senior in college. I was going through one of my many midlife crises um, and found a lot of healing and just stability in my yoga practice. So when I was asked to do something to change the world, I knew I wanted to use yoga as the medium. And then I have a family member and several friends who are survivors of domestic and sexual violence. So it's clearly an issue that that resonates with me. Um, so it was just this really intuitive idea of, you know, I know what yoga has done for me. I see how my loved ones have been impacted by trauma. This just seems to make sense. But I really didn't know what I was doing. Nobody ever does, right? I, know. Still, I still don't know what I'm doing, but it's fine. Wow. So you put those two things together and said I could solve, you know, help people solve their problems or help to help them solve their problems this way by combining the two. Yeah. I, um, like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I just sought out a couple of mentors. I still remember February, 2013, I sent an email to my yoga teacher and said, Hey, I have this crazy idea, yoga for survivors. What do you think? And she's like, do it. People will, people will show up for this. Um, which has just been a theme throughout my life of other people having my back. Um, and I think that's really important because sometimes when we have an idea or want to start something, we're like, I don't know. Um, so thank goodness for those champions. And then I just started cold calling shelters and, you know, sold them on this idea, which honestly didn't require much selling. And then I had a whole community of yoga teachers here in New York because I had done my yoga teacher training here in the city. And so I just started... I mean, I was a weird, how old was I at the time? Like 23-year-old? Yes. Yeah. That was a <laughs> yeah. senior in college. A senior in college. This. Yeah. And I like, but I I did and I still do take myself very seriously. So I had like a 10 page, no 10 page, 10 question like interview guide for these volunteer yoga teachers. And what really stood out to me in those conversations was everyone said like, I've wanted to give back. I just didn't know how or where or, you know, I needed someone to line up the dots for me. Um, so I really felt like I was that person just bridging these two worlds. What did yoga do specifically for you? The words that come to me is yoga makes me feel strong and safe in my body. Mm. Um, you know, this is actually something I don't often talk about, but like in the spirit of this podcast, like let's go there. Um, so I'm in recovery from a pretty nasty eating disorder. Um, and that was kind of like hitting its peak in call, uh, in high school at the end of high school. And so for me, like 
on a very like physical level, like yoga helped me feel safe again in this body that I'd been at war with. And like, yeah, just that sense of like steady, here I am groundedness. So yeah, yoga continues to save me on a daily basis. So then you yeah. reached out to these shelters. You, how many instructors did you start with? Three. We launched June 2013 with three classes, Brooklyn, Harlem, and Westchester. And so I graduated in May. We launched in June. And then I started working in management consulting in September. Yes, we saw that. We were like, <laughs> how did she launch at the same time yeah. of having like a, a real life job? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like for you? Yeah. So look, I don't have regret about any of it, but I went to a really good college. And so part of me was like, I need to get the shiny job that looks good on paper, right? You graduate from Barnard with a Columbia degree. So like get the job that makes all the money and everyone's like good job Zoe um so I worked in so I like I needed to get that job so for the first three years of exhale to inhale I worked in management consulting days nights all the time and then on the side was running this as a passion project the beautiful thing about that is it forced me to pull in other people because I clearly couldn't handle the whole weight of this so early on the story of Exhale to Inhale was not just the story of Zoe LePage. And I'm really grateful for that because it wouldn't be what it is today if if I had tried to go that route. So I had, you know, I had like a person that I paid hourly out of my, for the first six months, my own bank account, which is like, <laughs> like wow. you know, whatever. Um, and, and pulled in some volunteers and board members that just were like, sure, we'll We'll help carry we'll this advise. baby. Yeah, we'll advise. Wait, so you were using your own personal money <laughs> to get this started? Yeah. So after I graduated high school, I took a gap year between high school and college um, to do my yoga teacher training, to find myself. I'm like using air quotes on that, <laughs> to find myself. Um, so I built up a bit of a like, you know, rainy day fund for myself. And so I tapped into that to, to launch the nonprofit. That lasted about six months. And then we started to be like, hey, who's going to write write us checks? But I mean, you make bold decisions when you're 23 or when you just care about something. So I look back and I'm, I'm glad I started the organization when I was so young because I was a little more fearless. You know, I wasn't thinking, wasn't thinking things all the way through, but like, thank goodness. Yeah, you were able to just kind of take the leap without, yeah. without the knowledge that comes with, <laughs> you know, disappointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Bevan's brothers-in-laws have actually started a nonprofit, Team Antoinette, for their mom, who has since passed away this last year. So they've been doing a ton of stuff and have a lot of stuff in the works. But for those who are just beginning and really jumping in in the whole nonprofit world, the Zoe now, what advice would you give the Zoe back then in 2013 about how to do it or any just advice on that? It's so interesting because I guess because I've done what I've done, I am a person that, you know, people like your brothers-in-law often call to be like, hey, I have this crazy idea. Should I do this thing? And my first advice is always like pause, right? Like why are you doing this, right? Are you doing this just to create a nonprofit because you want to create something? Well, then maybe there's a different way to go about it, right? Is there someone who's already doing what you want to do that you could partner with? Um, you know, or, or, like there's just different things to think through because I will tell you that running a nonprofit is not easy. Um, so I think it's it's really important to respect the pause and get clear on what's your intention. Um, and if the idea really is something that you feel needs to be in the world, then what's the best way to, to create this? I will say that 
probably two years ago now, I was applying for this fellowship program, which I didn't get, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but it was this really detailed application process of like, you know, what's the business plan? What's the like all these questions? And as I was filling out this application, part of me was like, oh, I wished I had thought through all of this in 2013, things would be different. You know, maybe things would have been easier. And then I started to think about it more. And I was like, no, if I had forced myself to go through this level of detail, Excel to inhale would not exist, you know? And so I think we can get a bit into like analysis paralysis over things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you don't want to just carelessly throw yourself through the world, but you also like, you have to respect that like drive, hard drive. When you started this in 2013 yeah. and you get this job and you know that you're not going to be able to give it your full attention, how did you decide who you needed to hire, that you needed a board, that sort of, like, how did you decipher even where to go with that? You know, I think what's been really interesting about Excel to Inhale, we're now just getting to the place where we're seeking out certain people of like, oh, I need to hire someone for communications. I need to hire a development person, Right. But in the early days of Exhale to Inhale, it was kind of law of attraction almost. It was amazing just through this network of people who came to us. So I think to this day, but but really in the beginning, we didn't have we didn't recruit teachers. You know, people came through the network. You know, Amy Tobin, who is one of our founding board members, would be you know, in the lobby at Harlem Yoga Studio talking about her young friend Zoe who was starting this project and would meet a yoga teacher who then became our volunteer teacher or the owner of that studio now has joined our board. So when people care about something, they talk about it and then the right people just find find their way. And everyone wanted to give back, yes. like you said earlier. Yes. So that was the whole common law of attraction. Yeah, and I think what's for me, you know, what's first and foremost about Excel to Inhale is the work that we're doing in the classroom, right? The, the survivors who attend our classes who are empowering themselves through this work. But the secondary benefit that I started to see within a year was the community that's been built around the organization and the healing that everyone involved is having. And I'm talking from, you know, our yoga teachers um, our staff, our board, our young professional board. Healing happens in community. I truly, truly believe healing happens in community. And we've created a community that is creating space for all of us. So then walk us through the next step. So you have this job, you're starting to put, get people together to create this. What happens next? Then I lived in Australia for six months. Oh my gosh, you moved to Australia? <laughs> so I was working in management consulting um, and two weeks into the job, I get a call from my boss while I'm in an airport and he's like, hey, crazy idea. We have a client who's in Australia. Would you go? And I mean, at 23, you're like, sure. Like, <laughs> you know, it. at 20, at whatever, yeah. at 37, yeah. I'd be like, hell yeah, no. let's go. <laughs> let's go. Bye, Will. Um, <laughs> bye. Just meet an Australian surfer, you know? <laughs> so I... I lived in Australia um, for for about six months. It wasn't as dreamy as it sounds, to be honest. It was, um, you know, I was working crazy, crazy hours. I was there with one other person from my firm. So in, in many ways, it was amazing. But also, I would say loneliness was visceral, which I don't think is an experience people talk a lot about. But like in my bones, I felt lonely. And the beautiful thing about that is I had Excel to Inhale as an outlet. You know, that's when... I will still remember Kate Mitchell, another one of our founding board members. She was in New York. I was in Australia. So 
it would be Saturday morning for me. I'd be sitting in the coffee shop drinking coffee. It would be Friday night for her. She'd be sitting at home having a beer. And we were filing the 501c3 paperwork to become a nonprofit. Again, like when I just talk about all the layers of healing that are happening in an exhale to inhale, it was a bit of a lifeline for me during that time. Then we became an official 501c3. I moved back from Australia. Then I was staffed in Milwaukee. Life got even more intense. Like the pace of that project was insane. So then again, I needed to like call in another layer of support. And at that point, then we hired a part-time executive director to like steer the ship because I was like, SOS. Yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking about all of the stress and I know what comes with the consulting job and even my husband's hours are just insane yeah. in, you know, all that whole world. Was your heart beating fast? Like, how did you feel about not answering emails for the exhale to inhale stuff? Like, how did you pace out your time? Oh, I didn't pace out my time. <laughs> I, yeah, like I can definitely be work addicted. So, which is a benefit. It makes me get things done. And then also is the thing that probably will kill me. So I kind of fell down that rabbit hole. So it was really, really hard. And then, you know, I did get to the point where I was having that, oh, like that knot in my belly on Sunday nights because I was living the life where, you know, I was on a 6 a.m. flight back to wherever I was staffed. And I just remember like that Sunday night feeling of like, not that Monday morning's easy for anyone, right? but it was too hard. And I just, I started to feel like I'm out of alignment with myself. And, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, but like, if you start to pay attention, your body will let you know. So I herniated a disc in my back so randomly, just like, and I, that was definitely one of the wake up signs to like, something's got to change. Yeah. And then what'd you do? And what did I do? Uh, then I broke up with my boyfriend. I quit my job. And at 26, I gave myself a sabbatical. Amazing. Yeah. How long were you on sabbatical for? So in consulting, you get your bonus is like a huge part of your paycheck. So I had a really tough three months of like, I know I'm leaving. Bonuses aren't paid out till February. Oh, wait, now this year they're not paid out till March. So I had to like stay in my seat. Yep. And like daily, I would call my parents and be like, never mind. I just need to go. And they're like, don't be dumb. Stay. Stay in your seat. Right. You know, then I gave my notice at the consulting job and the firm was like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Like, is McKinsey picking you up? Or, you know. And I was like, no, I'm just I'm just quitting. Like, I just need time and space. I I don't know what's next. I had um, I had a I'll just describe her as an energy healer and said to me once when you're in a bad place, the first thing that you lose is vision like you can't even see what can be next because you're just like in a hole so it wasn't like I knew what I was going to do next I just knew it wasn't this so yeah so I, I quit the job I told the boyfriend goodbye um and took three months to pretty much watch Netflix in my bed yeah you were probably so tired I was so tired like so tired um had your back started to heal by then it did so like stopping traveling was also huge because like getting on and off a plane with a suitcase I think was taxing it and then also just like stress stress takes a toll on your body so yeah my back like I was going to physical therapy and watching Netflix and like walking around the block and just living which I had never really done um you know I I grew up as a ballet dancer and an athlete so I was constantly like I've always been overscheduled and so to just have time and space was like I was like 
do, you know? Um, And then one day, I will never forget, I was sitting in my living room meditating and it felt like like a shot of divine inspiration. I was like, oh, maybe exhale to inhale could be my job. Like maybe I could exist in that world, in like the health and wellness world. And I go to my family and friends. I'm like, I have the biggest idea ever. Like I figured it out. And they're like, no shit. (laughs) They're like, Zoe, of course. Yeah. Like, of course, like this is what you're meant to do. Like consulting was just like a cute little segue. It was Um, the shiny job. It was the shiny job. And like also the job that again, like I think there's a rhyme and reason to all of it. I learned how to create a budget. I learned how to work in Excel. I learned how to talk about business strategy. I learned how to sit at a boardroom and say like, wait, I have something to say. So there were, there are many transferable skills that I, that I got through consulting, but it wasn't meant to be my forever life, but it took me three months of Netflix to figure that out. I have another question on that too. When you, were you meditating specifically on that or were you just taking silence and time? Yeah, silence and time. Silence and time and it just came. And I feel like, I I feel like those kind of like lightning bolt moments, I've had like a couple of them in my life and it's just, it's, things aren't clear to you until they're clear. And I think sometimes it's like we, we hit our head against the wall of like, what's next? What's next? How do I get out of this? How do I get into this? Whatever it is. I was actually at this conference last week and I heard Elizabeth Gilbert speak who I'd heard of the list of our girl, girl crushes, Brene Brown, oh. Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh. If you're listening, you know, which I assume they do. I'm, of course they of do. Of course they do. Hey, <laughs> hey ladies. Um, Definitely. Yep. Of course. Please, but, please save the world. <laughs> but uh, Elizabeth Gilbert said, you know, creative ideas come to a relaxed mind. And I just think that's so beautiful because I think we live in this time that we're all trying to like figure it out, figure ourselves out. And I don't think it works like that. Mm-mm. There's I, not like a algorithm to it you know yeah and we're like you said we're like banging our heads against the wall we're like plowing through pushing through trying 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 and what's required of us is to step back and sit still yeah Yeah. so hard all only my ideas we've been talking about this now i think third time third podcast (laughs) in a row but that they only come in the shower and when i'm trying to finally finally get my body down to go to sleep which i love sleep and i can sleep forever but to I'm a night owl, so mm. I will be like prowling till 1 32 a.m. doing working. Yeah. But you know, it's just that's when they come. Yeah. It's like because your mind is relaxed, and then I have to wake myself up, yeah. go pee, go write it down, yeah. the whole thing. Send yourself an email on yeah. it. But I, just, I, I email myself all goddamn day. Hey, Zoe, what's up? <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Hey, I'm girl. Like, <laughs> a, you're doing great. Email B. Fucking <laughs> Email her back. No. Watch watch everyone that listens to this is going to start taking like three showers a day. Being like, <laughs> well, the bees It'll told me to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Ryan's like, there was five emails you just sent yourself within three. I'm like, because I have to remember that. And now I have Alexa. And, oh, my God. Is there a specific type of meditation you do? I've gone like in and out of all different types of things. Um, you know, sometimes I need like almost like a more like a Kundalini kind of like burn the fire out of me and then sit still type of thing. I really believe, and we talk about this a lot in Excel to Inhale, it's like meet yourself where you're at, right? So I think, I mean, meditation is such like a buzzword and I'm by no means a meditation expert, but I think sometimes we get this misconception of like, I need to sit in stillness for 20 minutes and chant like chant this very specific mantra and like, 
Sometimes my meditation is lying in my bed with my legs up the wall and like breathing into my belly for five minutes. Um, I think the biggest thing with meditation is just to start and just taking time with yourself. And I think if I can take five, six, seven minutes to just be with myself the, for the, at the beginning of the day, the rest of the day is pretty easy because like that's, I think most of our demons are actually like in our own mind. For sure. Someone once told me it's like sitting on your battery charger. Yeah. It's like we have all these subconscious things that yes. we react to. Our body reacts to stress. We get tense. All these things happen throughout the day and we don't even notice it's happening. Yeah. And so when we take a minute and we clear that, yeah. we're less reactive to all the things that, yeah. that happen along the way. Someone also gave me the analogy of, you know, those um, notifications that pop up on your phone or your computer about like, you know, you need to up like update this software. There's some people who that shows up and they're like, oh, great, let me update right away. Then there's those of us, myself included, that waits till the computer's like completely on the fritz, yeah. 10, you know, 10 updates behind, nothing actually works before you like do the update. And, you know, I'm definitely one of those people where my natural inclination is like, I'm at the bottom of my to do list. I don't need to take the time. And, I mean, that's bullshit, right? Like we, we do need to take the time or else it catches up to us, mm -hmm. you know, with a herniated disc, with a herniated yeah. disc. Yeah. <laughs> Growing a nonprofit, there obviously is the other side to it. And that's with money. And you first started off with Zoe's bank account and growing from there. But how did that process go for you? When did you start fundraising? When did you start growing with your board? And eventually now you have to give yourself a salary because this is a full-time thing. So walk us through that process a little bit. Yeah. So I would say that growing a nonprofit, there's those kind of growing pains along the way, right? Where it's, there's never quite enough money. And so, you know, we had, I think in the, in the beginning, we had one hourly employee and it's like, that was when it was just my bank account. And then we started to get donors once we had our 501c3 filing and then we brought in a second hourly employee um you know for a while we had a part-time executive director that pretty sure she was working full-time but you know was part-time so it's it's been a lot of you know working on a shoestring budget you know the team really being stretched a little beyond what's comfortable and then you know raising enough money so then we can take the next step forward um so we're just now getting to the place of like having the funds to like build out a proper team, which is is like such a sign of success for the organization. We started, I guess it was in 2016 after I had, again, like my second, you know, midlife crisis of like, I'm going to find myself and I should work for Exhale to Inhale. I'll never forget. I went back because for the first three years of the organization, I mean, I was the founder I was in an advisory capacity, but I wasn't getting paid. I was working consulting. This was just my passion thing on the side. And I'll never forget, I like scheduled a meeting with my two board members who were kind of helping me run it at the time to like ask for a job. At your own. Yeah. No they like kind of <laughs> laughed at me. I was like, I really think I could add value here. And like, this is what I think I could do. And they're like, uh, yeah, like <laughs> this is your baby. This is your baby. I was like, I really think I could do a great job of social media. And they're like, please. Right. <laughs> we need. We need you. Help. So, um, yeah, for the first kind of year or so back, though, I was just like hourly, an hourly employee. 
at, at the organization because we didn't have the funds to to hire me salaried and and then for the next two years like then then started to get a salary you know I would say that the focus of Excel to inhale has always been our programming and and the work that we're doing and you know, only recently have we started to put more focus on the fundraising aspect. Um, and we recently hired a second full-time employee. So for the last year, I was the only full-time and just a bunch of part-time people. Um, and DT is running all of our programming and really handling the service model. And then that's going to free me up to, you know, go get the big money. Yeah. So, so that you guys can really expand and yeah. reach more people. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard because you really do need to stay tethered to the mission, right? We're not running like this fancy company where we're just, you know, looking for VC funding. No, it's like I need to, if I'm going to be out there as an ambassador and as a fundraiser, it's important for me to stay connected to the pulse of the mission. Um, Because before now, you know, you had a founder and executive director that was like walking in and out of our shelter partners on a weekly basis. And that's beautiful, and unique, but that's not sustainable, right. you know? And so I'm very clear on as we grow the team and there's more function in, involved that aren't directly, you know, in programs, how do we keep us all connected to programs so that we stay in integrity around why we're doing what we're doing? How do you do it though? Because now you can't yeah. do it. So uh, do you say to yourself, I, I have to go to a class. I have yeah. to be amongst my peers. Yeah. Like, how do you do it now? So um, Sophia Holly, who's our New York City program manager, who's now the one who's moving in and out of the shelters, when she stepped into that role, um, I, I said, one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is collect testimonials for me. So like on a monthly basis, I want to hear stories from our students and from our teachers. Um, and, I, and I need you to share those with me to stay, stay connected to the mission. So, you know, I don't, I don't have the luxury of going, you know, going to meet our students directly. And part of that's for confidentiality and safety. Like random me shouldn't really be showing up to their classes. It's intrusive. But that's how I stay connected to our students. And then we have pretty much monthly, if not quarterly, gatherings with our teachers in which we practice the Excel to inhale methodology. So we've created this methodology and one, it's continuing education for our teachers. Uh, I think the best way to learn something is to embody it. And it's also healing for all of us and, and community building. So getting to show up at those teacher gatherings and connect with them, with our teachers directly is, is really important. I will share one quick story just while I while I have the mic. We so, were going to ask. So. Yeah. So this one came in two weeks ago. So our contact us form still comes directly to me, um, which is something at some point should probably shift to someone else. But for now, we'll keep it. And it was one of those days that everything was too hard. Right. Like there's not enough money. Growing our programs feels like Herculean. I'm really, really tired. Like I just can't. Like it was one of those days where I'm just like, I'm done. Um, and then I get this email from our contact us form that's from a student who signed at GQ. And uh, she said, you know, I practiced yoga with Excel to Inhale a couple of years ago. And she's like, I had gone to yoga before, but it didn't feel right for me. The Like it was triggering. Because yoga has the potential to like be triggering if you've had trauma. And, and she said, she goes on to say, you know, but the way that your teacher used invitational language, the way that I was given choices with my body, 
it was incredibly healing and an important part of my journey. And I think I can speak for all of the women that were taking that class with me that yoga and the community that was built around it, like really helped me during one of the darkest times of my life. And then she said, um, and I just finished practicing yoga at home and I felt compelled to reach out to you. Everything aligns, right? It's crazy how stuff comes to you when you need it. When you need it. And also what like blows my mind about that is like, you know, if I ever doubt that Exhale to Inhale is making a difference, it's like, okay, that's, that's an old story, you know, but the fact that this student practiced yoga with us and now still practices yoga at home. And that's, that's, I think the thing that I've started to talk about more because I think when I tell people we do yoga with survivors, they think of it as like, oh, it's fitness, right? You're like, they're getting flexible and I don't know, getting stronger legs or something like that, but it has nothing to do with that. It, yoga, the way we think of yoga is it's a resource and it's a tool. It's something that, you know, you can practice at home. It's something that doesn't even require a yoga mat. So like when you're in navigating a difficult situation, can you feel your feet on the floor? Can you drop your breath into your belly? And can you keep yourself like, centered enough to then deal with your life right it's not this like fluffy zumba-ish thing it's like no this is a resource and a tool that lives with you now Mm. that's my exhale to inhale soapbox (laughs) that's incredible that's incredible yeah i'm kind of speechless (laughs) actually that's like the first time i had an idea but there was something i wouldn't know is this the first time that we've actually ever been speechless like we're just i think so it's very enthralling zoe and what you're doing is is really incredible meeting you for the first time I know Bevan's met you you want to help others and it's yeah. not something where it, it doesn't you know if that confidence is is within but you don't I don't know you just even just hearing that testimonial you just said it yourself yeah. you know you had yeah. you watched it happen for this person but that was all the work that you built yeah you know I'm very clear when I talk about exhale to inhale um in terms of the the respect for our students. I think sometimes in in service work and nonprofit work, um, we can get this mentality of like, we're fixing, we're saving, and like, we're not doing that, right? We're, we're empowering our students and we're helping them reconnect to, to what they already have. And, you know, I, I think about this all this, all the time, like this work is just human work. And, trauma exists on a spectrum and I think it can get very easy to other you know you know when we talk about survivors of domestic and sexual violence oh that happens to those poor women out there and it's like no right it's one in three so wake up but if you think of like the root of this right it's like I think I know I can and I think many of us can relate to that feeling of feeling like lost and overwhelmed and like where do I turn next? And, and I, so I keep myself very rooted in that of like all that we're doing at Exhale to Inhale. And I don't say all to undercut it at all. Like it's, it's so profound, but what we're doing, our teachers come in the spirit of yoga's helped me. It may help you too. Do you want to give it a try? Where can people go to yeah. participate right. with Exhale to Inhale? How do they find yeah. you? It's a great question because the answer is changing. Um, so up until now, we've gone, all of our classes have taken place in locations where survivors are already receiving services. Domestic violence shelters, rape crisis centers, um, walk-in agencies that, that work with survivors. Um, 
and partly that was because in 2013 I did not have the funding to create like a studio or something like that so there's there's a practicality to it but then also we wanted to that idea I talked about before like meet people where they're at quite literally so if you're in acute crisis and your counselor tells you I think yoga would be helpful for you and then on a post-it note she's like take the Q train to the R train to the Z train get on the M52 but you're like well that's not gonna happen right so so we created it so you know you come see your counselor on Tuesday, walk down the hall, yoga's in an hour. Or you live in this shelter for three months, yoga comes here every every day. Over the last year and a half, um, there's been a couple of things in the news cycle that, that reminded me of that initial feeling that I had when I first created Exhale to Inhale that like there are survivors who lived in a shelter 20 years ago there are survivors who, you know, are just going through it but may not be receiving services. Um, you know, there, there's people at all different stages and it, it actually feels unfair that we're only serving like a subset of the population. So um, we've just started to, we did a soft pilot in 2019 and then we're going to make it a bigger initiative in 2020 is launch public programs. So think of like the why, you know, a church basement, maybe a yoga studio, um, university campuses, try to expand our, our world of services so that pretty much any survivor can, can receive services. So it's, it's exciting. It's new, like all things, we don't quite have it figured out, but, but that's not going to stop us. So we're going to start in 2020 with doing kind of like monthly public classes in various locations, learn, change, grow, and and we can find go. out on exhale to inhale.org. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just so amazing how willing you and your team are to try. Mm. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll try. Nobody has all the answers, right? The key is just to start and assess and then pivot and yeah. assess and pivot and assess and pivot. It's really powerful. Uh, it's dangerous. I feel like when someone <laughs> tells you, uh, like they have it figured out or they have the answer. I'm like, oh, I do not trust you. I run. <laughs> I run <laughs> the opposite direction. Yeah. With all of the help that you're giving to others, we also want to know what do you do to personally work on yourself? I know you also teach at the class. Um, you just attended a conference, I believe, with Brene Brown, who now is I'm like totally hooked on because of Bevan. What do you do for yourself when you are just impacting so many people? How do you fill your, your cup work. up yeah and it, it comes and goes right I definitely have times where I'm like ooh, not doing such a good job of taking care of Zoe and then like shit hits the fan I'm like oh back to square one we go for me movement is my medicine um as I said I grew up as a dancer and an athlete I I don't know it's it's very easy for me to lose myself in like thinking and in anxiety and so for me like moving, sweating is such, maybe it sounds weird, but like it grounds me. Like, oh, here I, this is my physical body. Here I am. Um, so whether that's going to take the class by Taryn Toomey or going to Bevan's Soul Cycle class or going to yoga, it's, it just gives me perspective. And lately I've been thinking a lot about that. I feel like perspective is like one of the keys to like mental health because when I get, tunnel vision on things everything is like like my life is on fire and then I'll like go and sweat and then meditate and I'll be like 
oh, it's just a difficult conversation or that was just an awkward moment or, you know, a, a, a big thing I've been learning lately is like being able to own my mistakes and going back to something like, mm, wasn't my best. So, so sweating is big for me. Um, I journal every single morning. That's been a new practice for me in the last year and a half or so. And it's kind of like, like I just word vomit on the page and just get out like it's almost a review of the day before and I run through things like what I thought, what I felt and it lets me be reflective without being obsessive and then I'm like, oh, okay, well that was yesterday and now I get to live in today. That's like one of the big tools of highly, highly successful people is is journaling, taking it down, assessing it and then saying, okay, what am I going to do differently today? That gives you perspective. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny. I've, I've been thinking about that a lot of, you know, cause I used to live in the problem a bit and kind of perseverate on it. And I'm, this is new just in the last month or so. Um, maybe it's cause I'm about to turn 30. So I'm like, Oh, you know, we got it now. But, <laughs> but that feeling of like, okay, what can I learn from this? And I think then if you take like in personal relationships, work, whatever it is, if you have the mindset of like, okay, what can I learn from this? It's all like moving forward. Always. Nothing Always is, moving. nothing is useless. Yeah. And Everything nothing is, is purposeful. Like, right. And the messy stuff is like, oh wow, actually there's, there's more to learn from this. Yeah. Um, I think it takes a big person to, you know, to move and work from your mistakes too. Like yeah. learning from each one that, yeah, that really, that sucked. That really sucked. Yeah. It was a little painful. It was a little yeah. embarrassing. It was, you know, I don't know how I'm going to go from here from it, but the fact that you keep doing it and keep putting that foot in front of the other, I always say like to fall forward. Yeah. Oh, I say big deal. failure is a rite of passage. Yes. Oh, it's a which, rite of passage. Yeah. Right. And you know, like Brene Brown talks, which again, we're fangirling over Brene Brown yes, today, yes. but she talks, she talks a lot about like rising strong and that none of us, like if we are being daring and courageous in our life, that we're going to fail. And I just think that's, you know, I've had a couple of those moments where it's like you feel gutted by something and it just takes so much courage to say like, okay, pick yourself up. Maybe it takes a day, right? Like maybe you do need to like turn off everything, go watch Netflix and cry in your bed. But then, but then you do get up Um, and it sucks when you're in that moment and it sucks when it's you. But then think about the people that, that you respect and that you trust the most. And they're definitely people who have like, fucked it up over and, and risen over from again. it yeah so yeah I take a lot of comfort and solace in in Brene's work and I went uh last week to her it's a it's called dare to lead which is based on her last book which right. is all about leadership and it wasn't with Brene I actually would have lost my mind if it was um it was with people that she's trained though so I was like oh okay <laughs> you've touched Brene Brown's hand touch greatness. <laughs> touch greatness. Um, and it, yeah it's just about vulnerability and courage and empathy in the workplace and what does that actually look like um, and how do how do we be courageous leaders and vulnerability is not oversharing because I think we live in a time where like people are like oh vulnerability that means like spilling my guts to people and that's not like that's not true vulnerability, right? That's like kind of needy of like pay attention to me kind of thing. But it was it was an amazing training, and what it what it left me with is just how much I hate conflict. 
Mm. and how like I'm just like ooh, it's fine it's fine you know that you know that meme of like the dog sitting in like the house that's on fire and he's like it's fine yeah <laughs> that's, that's me <laughs> that's me um and so yeah I'm, I'm like starting to be courageous and have conversations like when something doesn't go right or when something doesn't feel right to me like how do I then show up and talk about it with people um because that's that's kind to actually be honest so I'm I'm constantly in the process of of learning and growing and it's uncomfortable and amazing and then uncomfortable and then amazing and then here we are won't it always be though I know I know I don't think we'll ever figure it out I don't think so I think that's the way it goes because if we're always elevating we're always going to be met with resistance yeah and and resistance is a sign that you are moving forward yeah and I think also you know I think being able, though, to be in the moment you're in, I I think a lot about this when I teach at the class, because sometimes I think we can get like a bit addicted to our own suffering and our stories and like doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. And I think there's also such medicine in the moments when it does feel good. And there's a moment where like you do feel like you're in flow and it's easy and you're just like laughing with one of your best girlfriends, like lean into that moment because that is what makes the hard moments sustainable and sometimes I think we protect against like wait this feels too good yeah I can't go there because it's and it's like no go there because shit's gonna hit the fan again it's inevitably gonna hit the fan again we want to know where do you see exhale to inhale in the next two to three years Mm. I said this last year at our our party our October party last year we're not going anywhere I think the true dream would be one day we're no longer needed because, you know, there's less people suffering from this form of trauma. And, but that's not happening in my lifetime, unfortunately. So we're not going anywhere. I I see us growing as thought leaders in the trauma informed space. We host teacher trainings in which we train yoga teachers in our methodology. And some of those teachers come and teach for us, and some of them just continue to teach in their lives, but now have a trauma-informed lens. So I see us growing in that capacity as like thought leaders in this space, you know, presenting at conferences, you know, training even more teachers. In terms of our classes here in New York, I see us expanding those. Um, like I talked about the public program. So the, the breadth of our services and also going deeper. And I think in terms of like, I get emails all the time of like, come to Idaho, come to there was one from Switzerland last week and I was like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) maybe I'll come, but yeah, maybe, um, you know, because the work that we're doing is so important and so specialized, we're not going to just go, go out geographically. So if we're thinking about the next two to three years, I, I see us doing, continuing to do what we're doing, but just more in depth. If we fast forward, you know, five to 10 years, I'm really interested in digital So if someone who's listening wants to help me make an app, that would be really cool. I just think there's so many reasons why we go to a shelter at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. So many people can't join for yoga. Right. But maybe at 9 p.m. after you put your child to bed, you have 30 minutes to log on, to breathe. So I'm just constantly thinking about how how do we serve more people? We can't wait to watch and see more of you. Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you. Thank you for having me.